All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H20 1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H20 1820. Dog tested. Hashtag man's best kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. All right. Our number one asked question is revolving around Force fetch. Whether your dog drops the bumper or duck at the edge of the water, or you failed a few hunt tests because the dog monkeys with the birds or won't pick up a bird, let me help you help your dog. Bunch of different breeds, bunch of different personalities, start to finish teaching you how to do it. Links in the description. All right, Nate, welcome to the show, man. Really excited to have you on. Um, I have been itching for grouse season, so it's going to be, this is going to tantalize my, my tentacles. Absolutely. Dude, tell us a little bit about yourself. Let it rip. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm Nate Kennedy. Um, I'm the regional engagement coordinator for Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society here in the Northeast region. Um, I live up in the North Country. I'm originally from Ogdensburg, but I live in Potsdam, New York now. Um, I'm a lifelong generalist hunter, try to hunt in between the fishing seasons and fish in between the hunting seasons kind of thing, um, do some outdoor writing, things like that. And I'm smack dab in the middle of first timer bird dog chaos right now. So we're headed into my dog's first real, real season. So having a lot of fun, um, just getting into the fall stuff. Now I'm, I'm over it with the heat and ready to, ready to rock and roll. Yeah, dude, we caught uh, a hot snap here the first part of September, which is like great for Labor Day weekend, but I'm boiling right now. So um, fun fact, my first dog that I bought out of college, duck dog, Buck, is from Ogdensburg. Really? Yep. So I drove up there and got him. And then my setter, Andy, is from Styles Bridges. Okay. Who's not far from that little neck of the woods? No, Styles isn't far at all. He's a big name up here in the in the small bird dog community up in this these parts. Yeah, yeah, good dude. Um, and then one of my clients and good buddies is a guide out near you in Potsdam, Bryce Collins with Eastern View Outfitters. He's a goose goose and turkey guide. So small world, man. Absolutely, no, it sure is. It sure is. Yeah, 
Yep, I've heard of Eastern View. Their, their name gets tossed around quite a bit up here. And I think are they out of Plattsburgh? I lived in Plattsburgh for a couple of years too, and they were a pretty big name up there as well. Yeah, he puts he puts the hurting on the the geese for sure, for sure. Um, so tell us a little bit about Rough Grouse Society, how you got in with them, and what that's been like in your journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I I came to Rough Grouse Society from uh, basically the hunting and the outdoors side of things. I worked with cooperative extension and 4-H before that, but I was working with 4-Hers and loving, loving that job. Really loved all the 4-H shooting sports and hunting and conservation and wildlife programs that I got to do. I was a little out of my element in the dairy shows and county fairs and stuff. I loved it. It was, it was a, it was a great, great time, but I really got the kind of the feeling that I, I really wanted to step full-time into the hunting and conservation stuff. So I was volunteering with a lot of different conservation orgs back then. And then, uh, regional engagement coordinator position came up in, in the Northeast, which basically, you know, I work with the chapters and kind of boots on the ground fundraising everywhere between New York and Maine. Um, through, through my hat into the ring, I grew up, uh, hunting grouse kind of around the deer camp. They've always been a big part of our life, but I did not grow up with, with dogs or bird dogs. Um, so we kind of grew up hunting grouse if they were around deer camp or, um, after deer season wrapped up, we'd hunt them in the holiday season, just kind of go out and kick brush, squirrels, rabbits, hares, grouse, that, that kind of thing. Um, but through my hat into the ring when the job came up and um, through the process, I, I came on in July of 2021. So I've been here a couple of years now and um, I love it. It's a great organization. We work with, um, you know, bird hunters and conservationists across the country to raise money and improve uh, wildlife habitat for grouse and woodcock. And so we have a ton of fun doing that. It's a great it's a great organization, a great gig. I'm, I'm learning a ton. Like I said, I, I am not dyed in the wool, uh, upbringing in the Upland community. And so, like you said, I'm a generalist. And so when I got the job, I didn't have a dog and I got a lot of questions about, uh, you know, <laughs> how'd you get the job with no dog, you know? Uh, and I didn't really, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, exactly. Right. I didn't have a great answer. Um, and I really, at the, on the front end was like, you know, maybe I'll get a bird dog, but like, it's good to have friends with, with bird dogs. Right. Um, yeah. And I ended up getting, getting right down the rabbit hole and hunting over a ton of different dogs in my first year and really just, just knew I had to have it. So now we're a year into the, having my own dog here in the house and learning all sorts of good stuff. So when you say from New York to Maine, you're talking Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, are you still uh, like Connecticut, Massachusetts? Exactly. Yep. Rhode Island's the only one you missed, I think. Uh, yep. Seven states. Yep. New, New York and New England. Okay. So New York's not technically New England. That's, uh, you know, that's a separation. I don't really know the answer. That's a separation that I never made. But when they refer to us up here, it's the Northeast region. But when they break it down, they say New York and New England. Which I've always kind of laughed at myself. But uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great crew. We've got about, I think just shy of 20 active chapters um, for, between Syracuse uh, and Bangor, Maine. Wow. In this region. So quite a few in New York spread around and then a couple in each of the other states. So do you get to hunt in all these different states with different chapter presidents and like, you know, get invited to go do these things and as well as fundraising stuff? I certainly get invited. Um, I have not hunted a ton in those other states uh, since I got the gig because we're usually busy doing events. And as much as when I like if I have a banquet, um, you know, let's say in first week in November or something and I head out that way, we always have good intentions to uh to yeah. get in on a hunt that morning or the next morning and 
so far it hasn't been a, a ton of hunting, but, um, but I've, I've been hunting a lot in the kind of in-between events here in New York and elsewhere, um, with a lot of members and staff members too, just learning a lot. Like I said, I mean, I, I jumped in to this with, without a ton of that knowledge on bird hunting. So I've been really just soaking it in for a couple of years, letting, letting those fine folks show me, show me around the grouse woods. Very cool. And as you had mentioned, uh, off air, like you're not, your expertise is not in the forestry side of things, but you can dabble in it. Let's say rough grouse society, how are they giving their money back, right? Like Bob and Kevin donate to rough grouse society. Same with all these other chapters. We did a bad to the bone fundraiser. Are we going to private landowners? Are we going to state land? And what are we doing to manage it? Absolutely. Yeah. So our fundraising efforts go directly toward, you know, forestry work. Um, we do a lot on the engagement side as well. So getting people together to kind of rally around the mission, but the direct habitat impacts are both pi- private and public land. And so um, up here in the Northeast, our forester, you know, busts his butt and spends a ton of his time just in the legislation and that, that end of the paperwork side of things, a ton of grant writing and funding research. And and they're really, um, they're kicking butt on that, on that side of things. And so, yeah, but yes, to answer your question, um, private and public, we've got foresters now in New York and in Vermont that are working with private landowners through things like NRCS funding um, and programs like that to get habitat work done on, on, you know, forest lands and, and family farms and things like that. Um, but we also work with state and federal agencies, um, land trusts. We really try to build partnerships across the region to, to increase that habitat impact. Do you guys give advice to landowners or is there like a way to give advice to landowners on how to like better manage the land for these types of things? Absolutely. In general, but then also selfishly because Bob's got some acreage and I just to be real convenient if we could walk out the back door. Yeah, no doubt. We So both. We have a lot of materials. Um, we're building that out always we're always working on that kind of engagement piece for um how can somebody learn like something like our magazine or we have different outreach pieces that we work on for um you know what you can do to to manage habitat of your own but we also have um we have forestry staff that um and we're growing so more and more but we do have forestry staff that can come on out to your property um you know we 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 do we send our foresters all over the place depending on you know where they're at in the region and um, they'll come take a look at, at your property through a lot of the NRCS funded programs. What does NRCS stand yeah, for? Yeah, Natural Resource Conservation Service. Um, and Thank so they're, I think they're an offshoot of USDA. Um, and they they are um, kind of in place to help you get funding for your property. And, and what, the way that they do that is um, they'll come to your property and they'll put together a forest management plan, walk your property with you. Um, potentially set you up with a logger in your area or something like that down the road. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we're on the private and public land side. The public land side is a, um, it's a, it's a big ask here in the Northeast. Um, we're working hard on it all the time. Um, the private land piece is, it's a little more available sometimes. And so we, we focus on that as well. Very cool. What would, uh, what would some, a landowner, cause I mean, I, there's not grouse everywhere in New York. I mean, they're, they're like hit and miss. And when you find a place, you don't tell anybody type of deal. You know what, if I called and said, I'm in, I'm just going to throw out a name, Camillus, New York, which is a suburb of Syracuse. There might be some grouse, but not really. You know, I know that there's some state land near Kevin, where Kevin and I grew up and there's a few, you might hear them drumming a little bit during Turkey season, but 
the population isn't dense. So like if I had 250 acres right near there, but there's not that many grouse already, is RGS and Woodcock Society going to put funding towards that? Or are they going, okay, you're near this section and we know there's really good population. So we, if we can add to that, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously we'd love to be everywhere all the time. Um, I think based on kind of the way that the, our foresters are set up now with partnerships and, and things like that, um, they do often work in areas that are uh, a little easier to get to as far as um, kind of getting projects set up. But we've had for years, um, our chapters have been, you know, raising dollars and putting putting dollars into whatever's local to them. And so um, like we've done projects right in central New York, um, not far from where you're talking about, but you know, grouse, grouse really aren't doing great across the region. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're in pretty serious decline across the region. And so, um, to your point, you know, the, a lot of times you'd say like the further North you go, you know, if you can get to where there's a lot more active forestry, a lot more habitat diversity and young forests, mosaics across the landscape, um, you know, the bird numbers are better, but like you said, if you go out in, in some of those areas where it is tougher to get a bird and there certainly aren't a lot of them around, you do put in a turkey hunt in, in those next to the woods. There are birds there. And a lot of times, you know, you'll see in those areas where there are fewer birds now, there's more development. Um, there's more kind of, they, our foresters talk all the time about like the sea of sameness, right? There's just even age class forests across the landscape um, all too often. And so we, we work to, to kind of offset that a little bit, but um you know, the, in some of those areas too, like the state does have programming, like I'm sure, you know, the young forest initiative and things like that. Like I keep in touch with a forester down, um, in like region nine. And I think they do a lot of that young forest initiative work, um, on their state lands down there and, and they're having some success and throughout the state, there's definitely areas where you can find a lot more birds. And I think those areas are, uh, they correlate with, you know, larger landscape level habitat work. But in those little pockets, I think there's still birds if you get out there and kind of burn boot leather, as they say. And I'm learning that as well. Um, I do hear that story quite a bit, though, from people that are they might have grown up in the Finger Lakes, for example. And um, there were birds everywhere when the when the farm up the road was just kind of coming into that brushy, you know, overgrown habitat. And that was 40 years ago or 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. And it's just gotten a little older and, you know, the conditions haven't got too much better in that time. So we focus in a lot on that on that. Um, but I talked, you know, it's not just grouse and woodcock like uh our you know president and ceo often says that if you uh asked him to write a prescription for your property for deer it wouldn't look all too different than it would for um grouse and woodcock and so i i talked to a ton of deer hunters in central and western new york that they're improving their woodlots for um for deer bedding and and habitat you know thickets and whatnot and they're seeing an increase in grouse numbers as well so you know it's kind of one of those things yeah absolutely when we're talking about bird numbers, you know, in a in technically a decline, I, I can't speak for the other states in New England, um, but New York, we'll just kind of keep it here because that's where we're both from or the three of us are from. What makes a good grouse year? I'll start with that question. Conditions wise? Yeah. Yeah, that's a little out of my, to be completely, I could rattle off a kind of half-brained answer here that's a little out of my scope we do um, the same thing <laughs> it does yeah it does i mean i i'm and i'm learning still too right? it's gotta so be like, like turkey right like too much rain during it, exactly thing. yeah so i'm and i'm learning so i don't want to give you a hard answer here but i will say like when i talk to guys um 
that are kind of pontificating about the future of the, the, the coming season, the things that they're always thinking about are snowpack in the winter, um, depth of snow, can, how, how miserable is that winter, are those winter conditions, rain in the spring. I know a lot of places in the Northeast this year, um, you know, the members that I was talking to in, say, April and May, they were really thinking that it was the conditions were great for, for this fall to be great. Uh, and then we got a ton of rain. And so in right. some of those areas, I know people are worried. Um, and this is another one of those, one of those things like anecdotally, I can talk to three people and get three different, very different answers in, in, in similar areas. Um, yeah. cause they're flushing birds while they're walking their dog or whatever. But, um, but yeah, they're they, it, like you said, very much like turkeys. Um, you know, I think they're, they're thinking of winter conditions, rain in the spring is, is big, um, for sure. And then food availability, like, you know, right now up here, there's, there's, it seems to be you know, heavy, heavy beech nuts right near me. Um, you know, I think that things like that mass crop and berry production are, are huge, um, which can have an impact on birds that really made it through the spring, I suppose. But yeah, good point. Yeah. Like I said, little, little above my head there, but what does RGS do to try and create some sort of bird number in a area? Like, do they have a drum count or, uh, how do they track that? Yeah, so we we support um, state agencies and things like that that do drumming surveys, and um, we support research efforts. Um, like we more so on the Woodcock side of things in Maine, but like we support a PhD program at, at the University of Maine. Our Maine chapters have been funding um, a PhD student for a couple of years now that's doing um, kind of Woodcock migration research in New York and right in your in your backyard. Um, right now we're our central New York chapter and our organization as a whole has a great partnership just kicking off um, with ESF supporting a research project that they have on um, kind of West Nile virus and, and the impacts of that um, as it relates to habitat, I think, and as it relates to location. So they're, they're doing some studies where um, if you're within a certain, like last year it was set up that if you're within a certain radius from ESF and you kill a bird or two, uh, I think if it was, you know, let's, arbitrary but if you're within 30 minutes they'll meet up with you test your bird and and provide some citizen science data so that citizen science piece we we um we support quite a bit as much as possible they test it for west nile yeah they test it for west nile and and get kind of some data points that's what they're working on right now but um as a whole like your question was about creating bird numbers it's it's um really we're we're a habitat focused organization you know we're really focused on uh on creating more healthy forests and diverse habitat yeah well so i I guess where i was maybe going with that is with all the efforts in creating the habitat you know the proof is in the pudding so if we're seeing more numbers or maybe it's because of the weather or the the crop you know of nuts and berries and apples and all that stuff like or even just lack of habitat new home developments that went in on that old apple orchard that fed 40 grouse and their their babies or whatever and now they don't have that food source like i guess where i was going with it is is there ways to track the progress of these projects over time yeah definitely there are ways i don't know um it's a good question i don't know that over time that really gets um i would say i would say Pontificate yeah, of course, right? Well, ask the foresters for sure, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, like those. I would say correlating that habitat impact data, like in places where where habitat has been improved, um, those like drumming counts, things like that, and flush counts. Like, there's a thing um, blanking on the name here, but there's there's a 
like a survey that gets sent out. You can sign up for it where you can track your, your hunting season and flush counts and kind of the area you were in. Um, and that stuff's pretty cool to look at. And I, I haven't seen a ton of that recent data, but like looking at that data from over the years, um, has been pretty, pretty interesting to see kind of, you know, how, how different areas, especially like different areas of one state or different areas across the region have, have had some impacts like that. Absolutely. Let's take a second and talk about the Kevin, were you just yawning to ask a question? Well, you were like breathing in and getting ready to. No, I wasn't yawning (laughs) at all. I was curious about how, yeah, I'm always jealous that I didn't do more hunting in college, found other things to do on the weekend. But uh, I feel like if I was an ESF student and I was able to just go out and hang out with people shooting woodcock, I'd be dropping pins. What a great way to find new hunting spots. That's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I can support that, though. (laughs) I I might be like, oh, I'm in the middle of downtown Syracuse. And yeah, no, here's all the woodcock. Come check them out. I don't know. (laughs) And I'll tell you, you you know yourself, that's that's a big part of the conversation, right? Is like... um, the folks at ESF are, are excellent and they're tied right in with our, with our central New York chapter, right? They're, they're, they're very close. And, um, there's a, there's a, uh, caveat there. Like you don't have to tell us exactly where you were. <laughs> we're not coming to meet you at the truck. At the oh, trailhead. great. So where'd you get these? Don't ask questions. Yeah. Right. Like they, they're, who wants they're, to know, huh? They're cool with a pretty big circle of whereabouts. Are there, I think <laughs> that's so, awesome. Yeah. That's so funny. It is cool that they do that. I know I always get like a thing in the mail being like, please send in wings and just different things like that to help support some different studies uh probably for you guys honestly well that citizen science piece is huge right i mean you talk to people anecdotally um and again like i said i as as folks i'm sure can tell by now i really work more on the people side of things and um and you talk to people that like when i lived in i lived in geneva and i didn't bird hunt a ton down there but i deer hunted quite a bit um and i turkey hunted a lot and they're just, you know, well, there's, there's no grouse here whatsoever anymore. None, you know, and then you turkey hunt. But if you're not doing that drummer drumming survey, if you're not providing that data, nope, they don't know that there's, you know, you're hearing drummers left and right at that certain piece of state land or WMA or wherever, you know? And so, um, I give people grief all the time for not getting more involved in stuff like that, but it's, um, that citizen science piece is huge, especially with something like the grouse woods, because there's not, you know, Millions no, and millions of people out there chasing thing. chasing grouse and woodcock around, you know? It's kind of a dying art. We're trying to we're trying to go up against that, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I know. Absolutely. It, it's it's pretty cool what you guys are doing and and I don't know, we support it. And that was part of why we wanted to have you on the show to to have a beer and talk dogs and Yeah. I got one last question, then I want to get into your dog. Speaking of um boom. When Kevin and I go into the duck blind together, you know that we're packing the business, baby. Man, when I've got to pull up on a full Drake Millard, I want to make sure that if my aim is true, that that duck goes down. And I am slinging the bismuth at him, baby. Check him out. Kent Cartridge. Bismuth. At it this duck season. From the duck blind to the holding blind, baby, it's Purina. Our young dogs are eating the puppy blend. Large breed puppy formula should be fed to puppies from eight weeks when you get that little bundle of joy home, that little cuddly, wuddly buddy, all the way to about a year old. We want that dog 
to develop at a good consistent rate. We don't want them to grow too fast, too soon. And so that puppy formula is going to help accomplish that goal. It's going to give them all the nutrients to develop their bones, their joints, their ligaments, everything right. Feed that puppy formula till 12 months old and then flippity floppity to the 3020 pro plan. With the, have you gotten a chance to back on the woodcock? to do any of the woodcock banding or the science behind like the tracking collars that go on them or the tracking. I haven't done any of the banding, but we, uh, we have partners in certain States that do, and it's pretty fascinating, especially like I follow, and this is not my region. So, but I follow a ton of, uh, a ton of people in like Minnesota that do do that banding research. Yeah. And the coolest part for me, especially as a new dog, dog guy, is that like they're specifically training those dogs to be finding spring woodcock and being real cautious um and uh and doing those banding programs and they're they're very cool and so we we like i said we support the eastern migration research um with the woodcock program out of university of maine um dr eric blomberg and his crew up there and they do some very cool stuff so they're they're um they have transmitter collars on birds that they track throughout the year and man you know you guys know well the duck migration is very cool but those little woodcock which i was i was new to I, I grew up around grouse, but you foot flush grouse, right? You can walk through the woods and, and know that you're around grouse. I never had a dog. You could walk by a lot of woodcock and not know that you're walking by woodcock. So I never really even saw a woodcock until I got in with RGS and started following people's bird dogs around. Um, and so that piece and those, those woodcock are very, very cool to me. And seeing that Eastern migration research and, and getting that, those data points, you know, in the winter, you're, you're watching them go all the way down to Louisiana and in the spring, especially this spring. So I had a new, new puppy that I really wanted to get on some spring woodcock, mm -hmm. um, and watching those data points coming back up, getting hopeful. Um, they're a fascinating bird, man. Yeah. They're super cool. The amount that they can fly just overnight is it's insane. Insane. And then, you know, they're here one day gone the next, like it's a pretty neat season for us. It's a shorter season. I don't know if the northern zone, to be honest with you, I'm kind of naive to it. I just know when I can and can't hunt them in our area. So I don't know if there's a northern zone near you or if our state is pretty much woodcocky from this date to this date. Yeah, it's the same. Same for the whole state for woodcock, just October 1st through, I think it's like November 14th. Somewhere I think in you're there. right. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But just they could not be here until October 10th. You know what I mean? Like you, you get a couple here and there. It's unbelievable. And then all it's all weather. It's the coolest. You'll get the, the world, phone call man. from a buddy. Like get here now. Let's go. And, and yeah. they're just thicker than thieves. Yeah, we um we have an event in Minnesota every year, and um the last two years I went out there for that, and that was pretty special to be a part of. Right in the middle of October, and the first year I went was twenty twenty one, I guess, and um. I was brand new to all this, right? Like, so I'm just, just learning, never killed a woodcock at the time. And, nice. um, we get out there and we're checking things out and, and walking through the woods with people and they're everywhere. Right. And I'm learning for the first time in my life, what the flight is and the migration and that like these birds don't all live right here. Right. Like this is, you know, and so we're flushing tons and tons and tons of woodcock and it was incredible. And then I get that thing that you always worry about, right. Where people are starting to say like, Hey, it's not always like this. Like, don't get used to this part because it's not the last year we go same time frame, same thing. We're checking out habitat and walking through the woods, going on uh, forestry tours and stuff. And there's one here and there, but the flight wasn't there yet. And so people are like, this is what it, 
take notes. This is what it's supposed to like, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. When it's on, it's on though. And and it, it really is cool with the dogs. And like you said, man, you can tell, or at least with Andy, my setter, I can tell when it's a grouse or a woodcock with her point. It's just a, it's a really neat experience to get used to both birds with your upland dog. And let's segue that into your year old Griff home. Mm-hmm. Griff, uh, love the name. Tell everybody a little, uh, the name and you know, where you got him and all that jazz. Absolutely. Yeah. So he, so racket my, uh, my one-year-old as of August, um, Griffon, he is, uh, I, I named him after the Racket River, which I wanted something different, and um, I took forever to pick a name. It's my first bird dog, um, super excited, and so I really wanted a good name, and I wanted something that was tied into forestry somehow, tied into that habitat piece. I wanted something that, um, you know, I'm a Adirondack guy up here, so I really really enjoy, you know, the kind of local stuff. And I couldn't, I, we had a list of names. It was like, we're having a child, you know, it was was awful, but (laughs) we had a list of names a mile long. uh, It's not awful at all. I have a running list of dog names on my phone. It's like, we just, Ooh, I I hear this one. I'm like, we're going to add that to the list and whatever. Yeah. Good to know. Well, my wife's a Christmas fanatic. So we were looking at Grinch for a while and we were, I was on my way. Grinch is a good, that's not a bad name. That's pretty good. Yeah. Write that down. (laughs) We were, we were on our way somewhere and, um, somewhere for work and i drove by racket river brewing in tupper lane i was just gonna ask yeah i was waiting for a second well the funny part is if you leave potsdam to drive anywhere in the northeast i you drive that direction and between potsdam and anywhere over that way you drive by 15 different things that are racket something right and i drove by that and i kicked it around for a while and i was like that's perfect and so the racket river flows out of the adirondacks um and flows down through the town we live in here in potsdam and then flows out to the St. Lawrence River, which is really kind of my upbringing. I grew up on the St. Lawrence over in Augsburg. And so it felt right, you know what I mean? Kind of had all the pieces and it's very, very much so tied to the kind of, well, the good and bad, but the the historic kind of logging and forestry, forest industry in the in the Adirondacks and it's stuck. So Racket, he's, uh, he's out of Dutch Ridge Kennels in Oswego. Oh, okay. Um, yep. So he's a, he's a local New Yorker um pretty sure i trained one of their dogs back in the day okay yep they've been doing it for a little while now i think great people going into it i when like i said i got the job i was pretty much like i'm not going to get talked into a dog i'm going to experiment with this for a while everybody was like there's no way you're going to get a dog just get a dog um but when i started uh even i think before i got the job i had seen a griff somewhere i don't know youtube video or something and i i just liked it you know Mm -hmm. got the job started having that little hint of maybe I'll make this thing happen. First thought was like, I, I know I like those griffs. Um, and then I really had a, the luxury of um, spending my first year hunting over all sorts of different dogs, um, really doing a ton of, a ton of research, or at least as much research as a first timer can do um, to try to look at breeds. I, I didn't hunt over any dogs I didn't like, which I'm sure you can understand. Uh, and so that was kind of an issue. It was it was tough to p- narrow something down. I really loved the the Drothars and, and wire hairs that I hunted over. Pre- was pretty sure I wanted a bearded dog of some sort. Um, do a little bit of waterfowling, so I had aspirations of maybe having a versatile dog. We'll see where we end up, but um, yeah, came all the way back around and decided decided on the Griff. I think one of the biggest things for me with that, and so far so good, but we'll see if this is, I don't know that this is gospel, but I, I had read and seen a lot of things about it being a pretty pretty solid choice for a first timer. 
Um, and so I've hunted over some, you know, some short hairs and setters and pointers and stuff that I've, that I've really loved too, but he's just great. He's, he's, we're having a ton of fun. I think I'm doing okay as a first timer. I've done everything so far myself with lots of help and tons and tons of people to lean on. Um, we'll see. We're headed into his first real season. A lot of got him October 25th last year. So, um, right, right in the heart of it. And, uh, yeah, like you said, this is it. This is, you know, we did a lot of puppy walks last year. We found some birds. I'd flush birds last fall and I'd be beaming and all pumped up that we moved some birds and I'd turn around to see if he was you know, <laughs> locked up, locked up on point and he was eating mushrooms and deer poop. And, I was just going to say he's probably eating deer shit. Yeah. So fun. So that, that was, uh, that was interesting. And then, you know, we've been really trying to hit it as hard as possible in the quote unquote off season. What are some of the things that you have been struggling with, with him and some of the things that have come very naturally that you're like light bulb moments with his first year of training? Yeah. I'll say the natural stuff has been the, everything I read, I I read a ton of books. I've done the whole, you know, podcasts and books and videos and conversations with with people that know a heck of a lot more than I do. A um, lot of emphasis for a puppy with the, building that bond. Um, and I work when I'm not traveling, I work from home. When I am traveling, often I can bring him. Um, and so we spend just about all day, every day together. So building the bond has been no issues whatsoever. That's been excellent. Not to say that that hasn't been headbutt moments in there, um, but that part has come very naturally to me. I think a lot of the other stuff has come natural to him. Like I was of course, like super stoked and surprised that like the bird stuff all came natural. Like it's very clearly like, Hey, look, you know, it works. You know, the first Mm -hmm. pigeon, it was like, Hey, there's, there's the thing, right? Like the, the, the switch flipped for him. And, um, so that, that part has come natural. The struggles for me, I think the, in the very beginning when he was just a little puppy, I had uh, not major or anything bad or anything like that, but like just maintaining my patience, right? Like having a puppy around the house for me was just shock and awe. We've been, you know, sleeping in and having, you know, neat, tidy living room and all that good stuff was out the window for us. And that was, that was a struggle to be honest with you. Getting used to having a puppy around the house was, was huge, but it, um, it worked out. I mean, we've got a little routine going now and, and that's been great. The other struggle was an interesting one for me as a first timer. I, before and since I've got the dog, ask everybody everything. So if I've got a question, I really try to ask um, a lot of people. And, you know, I made that mistake of like Googling things when I had questions and stuff like that. And that opens up a, a world of issues and chaos. And so needing to know a piece of information and seeing three or four different conflicting answers, that was a, that was one for me. And so I have a couple people that I've really leaned on for that kind of final cut. You know, if I've got something going on, I don't want to bug them all the time. I try to look into it, even just the little stuff around the house, house training, right? Like little things. It was like, well, I'm, let me look into this. And then it's like, this book says one thing and this book says the exact opposite. And this person said this thing. And this person said the total opposite. And so I'm like, what am I doing here, man? Um, yeah. So that's that, those conflicting pieces have been that's been probably the biggest struggle for me to be completely honest with you should i do a or b well there's the old the old adage of if you get three dog trainers in the room together the only thing they'll agree on is that each of the other ones is wrong (laughs) i tell you right so it is kind of funny but um what are some of the podcasts that you like to listen to little shout outs uh that have helped you get where you are with your dog 
Yeah, the pod, well, Nick Adair's podcast has probably been the one for me that's been the most relevant to the stuff I've been trying to work on. He did a lot of puppy episodes, and I kind of went back through his archives. Um, and that's been that's been big for me. Um, I've listened to a ton of different dog podcasts, yours, yours as well, um, and you on some other podcasts too. But Nick's, I would say if I had to pick one that's been the big one for me that I've really dove into, um, especially yeah. into like archived episodes in the catalog, that one's been huge um, for me. And getting other first-timers' perspectives on that podcast too. Um, and, and like you said, puppy episodes and being able to kind of sort through things. Um, but I've, done, I've read a couple of books cover to cover four or five times in the last year or two that have been probably bigger, yeah. bigger, for, than, bigger to me than podcasts as far as helpful and influence goes. Good for you. Yeah. Nick's a good buddy of ours. He's been on our show. We've been, on, I've been on his a few times and, uh, he has a other business that helps edit and promote our, our show. Oh, excellent. So, uh, yeah. So we have a great friendship and working relationship with Nick and, and I agree with you, man. I think his show, if anyone hasn't listened to it, it's gun dog it yourself. And I would highly recommend it. I mean, he's got a plethora of experienced people that are his guests and then like you said a lot of first timers he'll he'll interview guys and gals that it's like their first rodeo and just kind of the same question i ask you what what went well what didn't go well you know is there anything that i can help you with or da 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 and it's like just hearing that other people are struggling with that stuff too makes you feel like i'm not insane yeah yeah yep, that's that's been big yeah that's awesome man well uh what is your what is your goal this season for you and your dog yeah. Well, uh, my goal is to prioritize that, which is tough for me. I'm a, like I said, I've said it three or four times now, but I'm a generalist, right? And so it's tough for me to pull away from the deer season. Um, and so that's something that this year I'm really trying to just prioritize the dog. I want to get him as many days and as many miles and as many contacts as possible. Um, and, and my goal, I guess, for, for the dog and I is just same thing, just contacts. I just want, I want as many, you know, bird contacts as, as possible for the year. We've had a handful of pigeons this summer. Um, we've had a handful of contacts last fall and, and, and this summer, um, kind of kicking things off, but I just want to get them in the, in the grouse woods and have fun. That's, that's the plan. I've really, I think I've told it to myself enough that I'm, it's top of mind for me that I'm not trying to, um, like set my expectations too high or anything like that. We'll see when the time comes and the leaves change and I'm out there. I'll, I'm sure I'll be like, man, it would be really nice if we just had a beautiful point flush and kill shot right now. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'd love to shoot a bird over that dog this year, but I'm really, you I'm trying to prioritize that piece of just like being out there doing the thing, um, putting, putting some miles on and finding birds. Hey, LoneDuckOutfitters.com is another great way to support the show. If you want to get a hat, you want to get a little swaggy swag, check it out, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. That's another place you can support the show and show up to a hunt test repping the gear. Where is he at in training as far as, you know, is he steady to the flush, steady to the shot, steady to the fall? Where is he at? Yeah, not... Uh... Not a whole lot down the road as far as steadiness work goes. He's um, handling really, really well. Uh, I focused a lot on that, um, you know, kind of great recall. Well, you know how that goes, too. That'll probably go to the wayside. And It'll go fall, to but, the wayside when that burns. Yeah, yeah. Hauling. Great great recall um, and hunting with me, you know what I mean? Um, he stays relatively close. It, all summer, 
doing the training stuff and just little exercise walks, he was so close to me that I was really getting nervous. And for whatever reason, like right about the time the quiet season ended and we could get back out there and actually get into the cover, it was like for whatever reason, it's on him, not me. I didn't do anything, but it's like he just is he's he was looking like a bird dog in the woods. And so that that part I'm really stoked about. Um and he's finding birds and pointing them um so far and and Woodcock especially. We had a we had a great great point the other day that um he held and I flushed and it was excellent. Um, you know, he's running through broods of grouse and getting all fired up, bumping birds right now, which I'm I'm totally cool with. I'm not uh I haven't done like a formal woe breaking process on him yet. I haven't he's he's I've taken it real fun and, and laid back on the retrieving. He enjoys going to get stuff and bringing it back near me. Um, okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, post season we'll, we'll steady him up and, uh, and probably force fetch him, which is a whole nother thing that, you know, I can <laughs> probably pick your brain about for, for an hour. But, um, but for now the, his training process is he's, he's handling real well, recalling real well. Um, and starting to, starting to look like a bird dog. That's awesome. I think if I had, another new dog that i was taking out into the field those are the things i'd be quote unquote worried about too they come when they're called they're hunting independently and having fun out there not too far not too close i remember andy's first hunt i took her to michigan for a wedding and you know they have the what are they called the gems the gems thank you yeah grouse enhanced management system right so i'm googling where my buddy's wedding is and holy crap, there's a gem 30 minutes away. So of course I'm the guy that like I'm in the wedding too. So I've got to like be in a tux by one o'clock. I'm like, but I'll be, I'll be back by 1215. I swear. And so she and I hit up the gems two or three times while we were there and she licked my boots. She had no idea what we were doing. Um, we didn't find any grouse. We found some woodcock, but I just, I, I couldn't help but be disappointed because she would work a field real beautiful but I never transitioned that into nasty, thick woodcock grouse habitat. And so now I'm thinking, here we go. I got this turd. No, it's, I mean, like the next time I took her out, it just changed. And the more birds she saw, it changed. And now I can't imagine having another dog. So I would have like relatively low expectations other than being in control. I'd want it good with gunfire and I wouldn't be overly worried about steadiness. Because I think those grouse, if you are in a heavily groused area and you're getting contacts, I think those grouse are going to teach him more than you and homing pigeons can. You know, I think he'll he'll start respecting them. That's been a piece, like you asked about struggles and I talked about the conflicting information. I read a ton of stuff in the beginning and and talked to a lot of people in the beginning um, when I was kind of like planning out my to-do lists for every month between last October and and this one right here. and there was so much about just not focusing on on steadiness. Let let them let them bump birds and and let them let the grouse teach them and that kind of thing. And so I really took that um, and ran with it. You know, I did some really light preliminary woe stuff, like coming out of the crate and with food dishes and stuff when he was re- yep. when he was little. And um, he knows what that word means. You know what I mean? But I'm not. I haven't done any of the um, any of that formal training really with him. And then it's one of those things, like, like I say, conflicting where I'm staring the season in the face now. And I'm talking to different people that are like, man, you got to get that. You don't want that dog flushing birds. And and it's the same thing with retrieving. It's like, I've, I was like, I'm not force fetching him until, uh, a, I learn how to force fetch a dog or 
figure out who I'm going to have help me force fetch a dog. And B, until after he gets a real season under his belt, right? I got him at a weird time. So he's over a year old, but we're just really headed into his first, first grouse season. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I was equipped and I didn't know that he was ready to do that ahead of this season. But then I got, you know, people lately being like, I wouldn't let that. You got to force fetch him before the season. And I'm like, "Ah, no, 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 one of those things. So, no, I no way, man. Go out and do whatever you think is best and just get that dog on birds and go have a good time and don't mess. <laughs> that's a good, that's good advice. I've trained a good bit of graf- graphs and I think they mature slowly. And so I think too much, I'm going to air quote pressure, perceived pressure, like he thinks he may have to or doesn't have to or this or that can really like dampen their natural ability I, you know if he goes up to your grouse and shreds it to pieces i'd be like dang that really sucks you know but if he's like sort of grabbing it and bringing it towards you or just like goes and stands over and as happy as can be boom yeah. that's perfect for his first season um so I, I, to the point of being allowing him to mature a little more and then having this drive that his real hunting season is going to bring into him it's going to embolden him make him more confident so as you start applying more rules to the game he's going to be like i know what the end game is i'm going to live with these rules more where if he doesn't really have like some of them that i've trained didn't have as much natural drive they would do it they'd be cool with it but they weren't like piss and vinegar you know you'd, you'd have to I wish I didn't have a time frame on them. I wish I could have said, give me a year like you are and let that puppy develop it in its own way and then start adding more rules. Like that's the problem, if you will, with my job is I'm given a dog and no matter where it is mentally and physically, I've got to, you know, I could also send it home, but that's not what they're paying me to do. They're paying me to train it. And you don't, you've got 13 years to hunt with this sucker. As long as he comes when he's called good with gunfire and hunts relatively as a team, I think the birds are going to teach him. I think if you start noticing him bomb in on birds, then maybe I'd scale back and do a little bit outside of the woods. Or like if he knows, whoa, I'm just going to walk in and be like, whoa, easy, whoa, easy. Like he doesn't have a correction coming, but you're just coaching him into. But you said you haven't done any woe breaking yet, right? Not formally, no. Not formal, but he's saying like he, the dog understands to stand there. Okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah, as yeah. it's already on point, you can just easy talk to it as you're moving through the woods to try and get your shot. That's that's what I would do. Not let lead fly, son. Yeah. Speaking to your to your timeline thing there, um, that's been a again as a first timer keeping my ears open. I've heard a lot of people make that comment right there where like they're saying, I'm a dog trainer. My job is to do it quickly. You don't need to. And I've really tried to hammer that into my own brain to be like, I'm a, I, you know, one dog household. Mm-hmm. I just want to have fun with them and find some birds. The guys I know that have great dogs that are like that aren't a year and a half old dogs. Right. So we've got some time. Like I've been trying to really just, you know, like we've got time and, and I've now been through a full off season to know that, for a guy with one dog, there's a lot of time in that off season and we can do, we can do a lot of that stuff after this first year. So absolutely. We'll see. I don't know. We're having fun, man. Yeah. I, so my dog, my, my setter, Andy is like the quintessential meat dog. I had her, I do still have her study to wing shot and fall in training. 
So like if we go out in my field and I shoot a chucker or a pigeon over, she said he'd wing shot and fall. She was a mother to force fetch. And at that time in my career, I was buried in other dogs. And so I was like, she doesn't, she has zero natural retrieving ability, could give a crap. So I'm making her do it. And it was just sourpuss. And I'm just like, wait until next season. Kind of like what you're talking about. Like, why do it now? She's still young. I'll wait till next season. And then what I came to find out is she, I didn't need it. She would be released, if you will, on the bird. She would either repoint it or be like, like I was saying, like bouncing around, like happy go lucky around the dead grouse or woodcock, or she would continue hunting and I would track my bird and then go track my dog. It never like maybe three to five times in my hunting career have I been like, well, I really wish she was force fetched. Like I never lost a bird that I hit. I've always got right. it. So I don't know. It's also really funny too. Like, oh, she barely knows how to walk on a leash. She doesn't know spit. <laughs> Torda knows to come when she's called. I mean, she just she just is out there getting it. And I don't know if I need any more than that for my grouse dog. I freaking love her the way she is. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, she'll go. She'll like repoint the the bird when it's down. But instead of repointing it, she just kind of like does excited circles and wiggles at the same time. And yeah. it's like, oh well, there she is. Like that's yeah. found it. Like we're good. Yeah, which awesome. on a on a fun Saturday in early November is good enough for you to be like, all right, I'll take it, man. Let's go find another one, right? Yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm just pumped. I yeah. killed it. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? S- enough swing and misses, or just like I heard it flush up ahead. I'm not worried that my dog didn't bring it back to me at that point. One, so Nate, one of the things you mentioned that I I think is interesting, and I, I guess I find myself kind of thinking about it a lot too, is like there's a lot of things going on in the fall. A lot of things. I know it. You can, at least where we're at, like there's some salmon fishing to do. There's grouse, woodcock. We've got like the little pheasant season here. Deer season opens up at Bob's. Like there's a lot of things to do. So if I got a few hours to kind of sneak away, there's there's options. But you, I, I would bet you'll find that you've put enough uh, time and energy into the dog that you're going to be like, man, I owe it to him. I, yeah. and, and like, it'd be good for him. Be great exercise. He needs some practice. It'll burn him out. He'll stop being a crackhead in the house. Like he'll settle down. It'll be good for him. That's what I find myself doing. Me too. I, uh, I've talked to a lot of RGS members that have sold their bows. You know what I mean? Uh, and I'm not going to give up give up deer hunting but i'll tell you my dad the other day said to me you shoot that bow this year and i was like yeah yeah, yeah you know and um like, uh, i fished theory, one, I, I did i thought about it i fished once this summer i mean i'm a diehard fisherman you know what i mean L- lifelong tons of trips throughout the spring and summer i think i've been what do you like to fish for months. i'm a smallmouth guy primarily but i'll fish for anything smallmouth northerns walleyes up here mostly um, how but, are you trying to catch the smallies uh i we fish trying to deep, catch them deep in the summer on on trying tube, to catch them tube jigs. with a rod bob yeah tube tube jigs and drop shots and stuff like that in the summer thank on you the river. thank you for yeah. answering my question instead of being yeah. hard to ask yeah. <laughs> <laughs> catch with a net. yeah but i i this is first summer in my life i haven't uh haven't caught a smallmouth. i caught one northern on the one trip i took this summer i think i did we did a camping trip in the spring so i guess i fished one of those days when we were out there, but I've just been, like you said, I've been, he sits around and watches me work all day. And then I've been really trying to 
trying to prioritize him and it's been fun. Like, and I can come back around to the other stuff too, but this, I don't know. It's I'm, I'm committed that I'm not going to give it up. I'm not selling my bow. <laughs> or are you like a, a bait, you know, Let's talk see. to us about deer hunting a little bit because Kevin and I are, we swing the other way. I I'll deer hunt my, my property. I might go deer hunt at a buddy's place, but it's like 3 PM on a Tuesday. I'll go sit for until dark, but I may not go again until Friday and I'd rather probably go grouse hunt. Talk to us about your deer hunting career and what makes it that so special for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I grew up, um, up here in the North country with a, we have a family deer camp, um, from a family of generalists, I would say as well, but myself included that, you know, generalist hunting, whatever's in season has always come on the fringes of deer season. That's always been our priority. Uh, in high school and stuff, my buddies are duck crazy. And, uh, I always had a hard time, like passing up a morning in the tree stand to go kill ducks. And, and, um, the last few years I've been more, more and more interested in waterfowling and trying to do as much of it as possible. But the, the deer thing for me has just been huge. The family piece of it is a one. I mean, we've, we've, we've had a, I didn't play sports in high school because we have, well, there's a lot of reasons. I'm also not very athletic, but we had a family camp. We, we left Friday and came home Sunday, every single weekend from September through pretty near Christmas, you know? Um, and so that's, that's a huge piece. If I can sneak over there on the Thanksgiving break or, or on weekends in the fall, if I'm not working, um, that, that family camp piece is huge. And that kind of big woods deer hunting. Where is the camp in the general? We're just outside of the Adirondack park. Um, not too far from here over Parishville, neck of the woods, kind of that area, St. Lawrence okay. County. So no, even more northern. But then, you know, I've always been so interested in it that even though growing up, I wasn't killing big bucks or anything like that. I, I loved it so much that when I started to move around the state, I took advantage. So like I, when we lived up in um, Plattsburgh for a while and we lived in Syracuse and out in Geneva, and when I was in the Finger Lakes, I had, had, you know, the best deer season of my life as far as really, diving in and i was right at the bottom of that deer crazed um rabbit hole when i got the job with rgs and and um so i've always been a deer i mean it's deer are a big big part of my life but i've never deer hunted less than i hunted last year you know really just getting into this this stuff for a while so and i i try to sneak it all in i mean we early goose we went out a couple times this weekend try to try to fit some of that stuff in and we'll get a we'll get a duck hunter two in this year as well um but i'll be Deer hunting as much as possible, probably primarily in that late November time is going to be up soon part, you know? Very good. Yeah, absolutely. Why, what do you, what is your take on the rut from like where we are in central New York to up, up near you? Does it change because of you guys get colder than we do? You know, does it hit earlier or anything like that? I don't know right where you are. If I would think there'd be too much of a difference, um, south of you for sure. I saw when I was in Geneva, I was hunting like, um, kind of mid to Southern finger lakes. And it seemed like everything that was happening down there was happening almost exactly like a week earlier than everything up here. And so down there, kind of that November, you know, fifth through the 12th stretch, it was crazy and awesome. And up here, I mean, in the teens and just, just up to Thanksgiving, you really want to make sure you're out there. That's, that's what I've always kind of noticed, or at least, um, it was a little earlier down there for sure. Yep. Why do you, why do you suspect? I, I elevation maybe. I'm not really quite sure. Um, because it's not there's not too many miles in between there. But um, yeah, good question. I, I don't know that I'd put an answer to it. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I I could 
I would have bought that because it was colder up there that they would maybe come in a little bit sooner versus what you're saying. They came in later up, up there. Yeah. Snow for sure. I mean, that was a big one. You know, we're, we're getting snow up here sometimes two, three weeks before, before down there, but, um, a lot more deer down there. I had a, I had a ton of fun hunting in that, that finger lakes. I, I only really hunted it for like two years, but I can realize like the first time in my life I was ever passing deer. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sending texts back home. Like I passed a buck tonight. It's crazy. <laughs> up, here, did up, it on purpose. up here. It's a, yeah, exactly. People, people. Um, and there's great people passing deer up here too, but not me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. That's super cool. Yeah. I haven't, uh, I, we just didn't grow up deer hunting. So it's more new to us as well. I mean, I've got a tree, you know, I've done a, I've done all of the, the buck fever, you know, any mistake I can make, I've made it. Um, and last year I got my first buck. So I was, I was proud as heck about that. That's awesome. Nubby. Right there on the, on the property. Right there on the property. man. Good for you, man. That's exciting. Yeah. It felt good. So I am excited for being in the tree stand and slowing down a little bit with the dogs in training and just kind of unwinding, but the grouse woods even more than duck hunting right now. I can't even, it's so hot. I can't even think of duck hunting, but you know, the, the cool morning, take a walk with the dog in the woods, dude, I can't wait. I'll tell you that funny, funny thing real quick. We, uh, my wife has total non hunter, not an anti hunter, but when I met her, she didn't hunt a lick and we've been together about 10 years now, two years ago or three, she started turkey hunting, killed a turkey, fell in love with that. She loves to fish she's been eyeballing potential deer hunts for years, you know, and she's been with me and, and we've had some fun and stuff, but hasn't wanted to actually go out and get a deer. And this year she's, she's like, I want to get deer tags. I want to do it. I want to so we'll start shooting and I want to do it. I want to try to get a deer this year. And I said, you would pick the one, the, the year that I'm like, I'm going to prioritize this dog and the bird yeah. woods and the grouse yeah. woods as much as humanly possible. She's like, I think I might take up deer hunt. <laughs> That's cool. You know what's awesome. cool though? I mean, she can go out and hike with you a little bit with the dog too. I mean, like all that stuff can Absolutely. be great family fun. For sure. No, we're fired up. And the dog's been been a fun, fun piece of it for her as well. She's excited to to follow him around the woods for sure. See, that that Good is really cool. Like my wife doesn't hunt either, but has kind of followed us around a couple times, loving the dogs more than me uh you know ha has enjoyed that and she'll come out and take pictures and have a good time and just kind of be around for it but it's yeah. it's just cool it's a cool little family thing to to share and enjoy and just be out there sure he's she's his biggest fan too she i i've said a lot in the last year like well we'll see you know he's we'll see if he makes a good we can make a grouse <laughs> dog out of him i don't know and she's like he's a grouse dog you knock it off he's got it. <laughs> he's got this whole thing figured out already you just give you don't give him enough credit I'm like all right well we'll good see yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you mentioned earlier that you're, you're an outdoor writer as well. Um, maybe give yourself a, a plug of where people can find you, where they can read some of your material. I, your Instagram page has your link tree with a bunch of articles and stuff that people can enjoy. So hook them up on where they can find you. And if they have questions about RGS, joining RGS, maybe even starting a chapter in their area, you know, you could be a resource for them. Absolutely. No. Um, so yeah, you can find me at it's Nate Kennedy 60 at, um, on Instagram. And, um, yeah, my link tree's on there. So I wrote an outdoor column for the Auburn citizen for about three years. Um, and I write every once in a while, I'm fortunate to get a piece into covers the, uh, RGS magazine. Um, I wrote last year for the conservationist and, um, 
and I write once in a while for New York Outdoor News, if anybody gets that awesome publication. Yeah. Um, so I do it as much as possible in as many places as they'll let me let me get a word in, um, which is great. So you find me on there, reach out to talk writing or New York stuff or uh, RGS stuff as well. Um, you can always find anybody through the RGS website, depending on what part of the country you're in. But if you're anywhere between New York and Maine, you can reach out to me at um, Nate K at roughgrousesociety.org and check us out. We've got a ton of cool stuff coming up. If you're in your neck of the woods there in central New York, that's our kind of oldest and, and um, biggest chapter here in the region. They've got their 41st annual banquet coming up this November. So we're fired up for that. Um, nice. But we've Both got, a, yeah, absolutely. We've got great events happening all across the country. We've got a lot of new chapters right now and chapters trying new events and getting into um, kind of diversifying their portfolio for fundraisers and get togethers. And we got a ton of, ton of people building the community and having a, having an awesome time. So. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I enjoyed chatting with you about grouse and woodcock and your dog. So I will be your biggest fan and supporter in your first grouse season. And if you have any questions or whatever you need, you know where to find us. And thank you again for joining us on tonight's episode, everybody. I appreciate you tuning in as always. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Awesome. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link, join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it, enjoy it. We did it for you and you're helping us produce a show so thank you so much to that community get in get out let's roll patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters hey listeners nick larson here host of the bird shop podcast as fans of this show you may be interested in the conversations on the bird shop podcast where we discuss all things upland hunting from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns bird dogs and gear used to pursue them whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more i interview a wide range of guests each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share if you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation please consider subscribing to the bird shop podcast today Thank you.